Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Hi, welcome to Six Feet Apart. I'm Alex Wagner. It's hard to pinpoint one singular moment when Americans began to realize that the COVID-19 pandemic was about to reshape all of our lives. But for many of us, the cancellation of our favorite pastimes, basketball, the Olympics, the performing arts, that was the inflection point, the beginning of a very different era. And that's what we're talking about today. Sports. Or sport, if you prefer to be a little more highfalutin about it. What's happened to America's finest athletes in a moment when games and performances are all on hold indefinitely? How do you maintain peak physical condition when the arenas and stages are closed and your coaches are nowhere near you? What happens to team players when there's no team? We'll be talking to people who've trained their whole lives to perform under pressure and now find themselves with nowhere to go and nothing to perform. First, we'll speak to Christian Coleman, one of the great track and field hopefuls for Team USA in the 2020 Summer Olympics, which are now the 2021 Summer Olympics. Christian was widely expected to beat Usain Bolt's 100-meter dash Olympic record. He just might be the fastest man alive. But for now, he's back at home living with his parents. Then we'll talk with Isabella Boylston, a principal dancer at the American Ballet Theater in New York City. Because of the pandemic, Isabella has lost an entire season in a career that is, by nature, fairly short. Instead of pirouettes at Lincoln Center, she's now live-streaming ballet classes from her kitchen in Brooklyn. And then Neka Ogumike, a WNBA player on the Los Angeles Sparks. While the NBA was the first major American professional sports association to cancel its season due to COVID-19, The WNBA hasn't even started its games for 2020. While the WNBA aims to get its players back on the court sometime this year, for now, NECA and her teammates are in isolation. She's been at home waiting to shoot hoops since March 8th. And now, here's Christian Coleman. So, Christian, I think a lot of people expected they would next hear from you while you were on the the medal stand in the Tokyo Olympics 2020. But of course, um, circumstances have dictated that that is not going to be happening this year. Where are you right now? Uh, I'm back home in Atlanta. Um, back home in Atlanta, Georgia, at my, my parents' house. Are you sleeping in your childhood bedroom? <laughs> I am sleeping in my childhood bedroom. There's a lot of stuff in there that because I kind of use it for storage, just stuff that I've gained and, and gotten over the years. Um, so it's a little bit crowded. What are your days like? What time do you get up? How do you find time to work out? I get up like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I go up to the, the gym and lift weights. Um, and then um, in the afternoons, I'll you know go up to the track just do the workouts that my coach sends. Like, sometimes it's not a track workout. Sometimes, you know, it's just some stuff we can do around the house, like a circuit. 
Um, what what track are you using? Because most of the high schools are closed, right? Yeah, the high schools are definitely closed, but I just hop the fence. I don't want to say. You're hopping the fence. You're hopping the fence. <laughs> yeah, I hop the fence. I don't want to say the name so if somebody like hears yeah, it. Yeah, nobody. We don't want to see you get arrested. You're just trying to work out. <laughs> Yeah, but don't you I mean, think that the, there's some high school out there that would be happy to have you training? I mean, really, given who you are and what you may become, I think that that would be a badge of honor. They'd love to know that Christian Coleman was hopping their fence. <laughs> Definitely, but I mean, the the coach, the I mean, um, the school that I'm going to is it's up the street, and I and I know the coach, and you know we're pretty cool, we're pretty close. Is like he can't like technically legally open it for me, but he was just saying that like you know nobody would be up there, so it's cool if I you know go up there and um still get on the track and, and do my workouts that I need to do, you know, not get out of shape during this time. So it's kind of crazy. It, I mean, it, it is crazy, right? Like, given where you thought you were going to be, you know, on New Year's Day, right? Nobody mm-hmm. in the world thought Christian Coleman, this this young athlete who a lot of people are saying is going to beat Usain Bolt's record, fastest man alive, that you would be hopping the fence at, at a high school and working out at a gym by yourself and sleeping in your childhood bedroom in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> Come April, yeah, twenty twenty. Yeah, I never would have. I never would have thought. I mean, it, and then it it kind of all just happened so fast. Like you know, we were just going through our regular routine. Like I was training, and we were going through the uh, the indoor season. I ran in one meet, and we were supposed to have the indoor world championships in China. And so um, that was kind of strange. That um, I feel like over here in America, it wasn't being like taking it serious or broadcasted um, how serious, like, this pandemic was about the coronavirus. Um, but they canceled that meet, which was going to be in March, but they canceled it back in, like, February mm-hmm. um, over in China. And so at that point, um, I don't know, like, the news over here wasn't, like, making it seem like, you know, the, the virus would reach us and it would be a big deal. Um, so we just kind of kept going through our regular, um, you know, training and routine. And we were at the NCAA championships, and then they started to, uh, different teams started to drop out and different conferences started to say that they weren't going to allow their athletes to compete. Um, and then they just canceled the whole meet and then like the NBA canceled. And it was just kind of like a whole crazy like week in that time span where like things started to like unravel. Yeah. You know, it sounds like from the athletes I've been speaking with, the athletes that were involved in international competitions or international performances they sort of had a sense earlier than I think a lot of American athletes did um, Mm -hmm. or athletes that only compete in the U.S. They had a a sense earlier in this cycle that something bad was coming down the pipe because they were talking to people who were overseas. They they, They knew what organizers in Asia or in Europe were beginning to grapple with. And so it sounds kind of like that was the case with you, that, that you had a sense that, oh, this could be a problem earlier than a lot of folks, I think, in America did. Absolutely, because, like, when they canceled the indoor world championships back in February, and I thought it was just kind of strange, but a couple more weeks went by and things just started to get way more serious and way more treacherous, and um, obviously things started to transpire. When they canceled the, that international meet in Asia, did you start thinking, uh-oh, what about the Olympics? 
Uh, or or was that still too far down the line? Yeah, not not immediately. I didn't start to think about that because I wasn't being affected in terms of like my training. Um, and neither was, you know, my, my competitors, you know, because most of the people, even if they're international athletes, they, you know, train over here in America. And so um, everything was just kind of the same. And I wasn't even, you know, thinking that, you know, this could last for the next few months and, you know, they could possibly cancel the Olympics. At that point, that, you know, definitely wasn't my thought process because I had no, like, news or knowledge about it. I thought that it was just a situation going on. They, you know, they'll get it under control in the next few weeks and we'll be good to go this summer. Um, but obviously that, you know, wasn't the case. I guess it was just getting started. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you've dealt with all of this psychologically? I mean, I know physically you're trying to keep your strength up. You're trying to stay in shape. You're continuing those <laughs> secret workouts on that high school track. But how are you, you know, given the uh, the expectation around your performance, given the hopes that a lot of people had for you being a medalist in the games, you know, mm-hmm. how have you dealt with the fact that you're not going to be competing for another year? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like track and field is is more of a mental and emotional sport than it is physical. Like, obviously, you train your bodies and you put the work in and hours and hours on the track. But mentally, like going into competitions, knowing that everything's going to be on the line and um, you get one shot, you know, you don't get four quarters to go out there and, and, you know, put together a good performance or you don't get another game six or another game seven, you know, like you do in the NBA or or in baseball or something, you know, you get one chance, you know, as soon as the gun goes off, that's your opportunity. And mentally, I feel like that weighs a lot on you. I mean, it can stress you out, but then also just the pressure, you know, of the whole situation. So I just, over the years, I've gotten better and better at just controlling the things that I can control. And, um, and so it's kind of a thing that you just have to teach yourself to just not be anxious, you know, not be stressed out about certain situations, just whatever you can uh, control, like whatever's on your plate, that's what you deal with. And so I think as track athletes, we're kind of used to wait for our opportunity, wait for our chance and just staying ready for that, that one. Obviously, we've waited four years now and we'll just have to wait one more. Um, And so I think it'll just make it that much more special you know, if you were to go out and, and get an Olympic medal or make that Olympic team, knowing that everybody had to go through these type of circumstances and everybody had to be faced with these type of uh, obstacles to be able to get there. Yeah, I think there's some global unity in all that, right? The games, when they do happen, are going to be a real high point for Earth, <laughs> given Absolutely. what the globe will have to grapple with between now and then. Is it good to be home with your parents? Is it does it make it easier to be surrounded by family at a time like this? Definitely, definitely a good time to be around your family, be around your people. I think um hearing about how so many people have died and are being affected and displaced by this um it puts in perspective that, you know, life is short and you definitely should not take it for granted because you know life can just obviously change within a week, within a day, within an hour, you know, things can be totally different. And so, you know, just taking this time to, you know, be around my people and around my family and cherishing it, you know, you definitely don't want to take these opportunities for granted, even in the the midst of a, you know, global pandemic. Thanks a lot, Christian. We'll see you in Tokyo. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you guys so much.
So it's a lost year for many athletes, which is an issue when many of their careers are relatively short to begin with. Isabella Boylston is a principal dancer at the American Ballet Theater in New York City, but for now, she's doing what she can to keep her calluses tough offstage. So, Isabella, on April 8th, which actually, in the grand scheme of this, was not that long ago, uh, the American Ballet Theater, ABT, where you're a dancer, uh, canceled their season. Uh, That was later than a couple other major U.S. dance companies. What were you supposed to be dancing in this season? Um, So basically, I was just going to be revisiting all of my classical roles. Um, Swan Lake, Giselle, Romeo and Juliet. Juliet's definitely one of my favorite roles. So um, Jane Eyre. Every week we do a different ballet. And um, there are several casts of principal dancers. So you can see like a bunch of different interpretations of each ballet. Do you remember when they closed the dance studio? Yeah, it was uh, the last day of work was March 12th. And and it literally, it was so crazy because we were supposed to tour to Chicago like five days later. And it wasn't until then that they canceled our Chicago tour. And um, we're supposed to have a tour to China in the fall. And my thought was like, oh, well, I hope we can still do our tour. Just so ignorant, not even thinking like, oh, (laughs) soon this will be in the States and we'll be dealing with it here. Well, I think there are a lot of people that thought exactly along the Mm -hmm. same lines as you. It's just scary how, I guess, ill-informed we were about it. Like even a week before they canceled our um, last tour. Like it still seemed like a possibility. Honestly, like we were thinking maybe even just like a few weeks. So I, I'm so glad I like got hoarded a bunch of my point shoes (laughs) because I'll need to keep wearing them. So my toes don't get completely raw. Wow. And one never thinks about the fact that you have to keep your calluses up, that that sort Mm -hmm. of wear and tear actually is, is necessary for peak performance. Totally. Like when I get a pedicure, I won't let them touch my calluses. I'm like, you have no idea how hard I've worked to get these. The second I don't wear my point shoes, um, like I lose the calluses and the toughness in my toes that I need to be able to go on point. Because the, the season was canceled relatively late, have you been trying to keep up with your rehearsals. Tell me a little bit about how you sort of continued to train through this first phase of the of the isolation of the lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are used to rehearsing for up to nine hours a day. Um, and I usually only take one day off because our bodies are so um, like finely tuned, I guess, that um, yeah, I wouldn't say finely even tuned. A, finely <laughs> I tuned, think that yeah. that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> even after a few days off, you feel it. Um, just in order to like not have my, you know, muscles start atrophying, I've been doing class in my kitchen every day. And then um, my best friend James Whiteside and I, he's a principal dancer in ABT as well. We had the idea to basically start live streaming classes. And our first live stream, like over... 15,000 people took our class. We were so overwhelmed. We were like, okay, 15,000 people. That's more than four times the capacity of the Met Opera House, our biggest theater. But um, I literally just hold on to the kitchen sink. 
But I mean, I think of ballet as one of those things that uses a like a large range of movement mm-hmm. and a full stage. So when you were trying to keep up with your routines for the performances, like how do you do that in a Brooklyn living room? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it is impossible to do the full range of motion that I would do in my typical rehearsal day at the studios. But um, you can still like target specific muscle groups to just like keep your strength going. You know, I know the what the dance community is going through right now is very difficult. But at the same time, we are fortunate to like those of us that are healthy are very fortunate and we're fortunate to just still be able to move in our kitchens because not everyone has that luxury right now. Yeah, that's definitely true. There are a lot of people that wish they could be doing plies by the sink. Totally. So yeah, things things could be worse. At this point, you know, as you try and keep your calluses calloused <laughs> and you keep your muscles from atrophying, wh- what does that practically mean? We're all sort of in quarantine, social distancing, people can go outside. How do you do that within the sort of space you've been allotted? Well, what I've started doing is just to stay motivated. Cause the first week I didn't really have a routine and I was like getting super depressed. Um, so I, I have a like notebook and every night I write my schedule for the next day. And it's literally mm-hmm. like 9am, wake up 930, drink coffee, mm-hmm. um, just various things to give my day structure. I think of ballet as one of those particularly regimented careers, right? I mean, just mm-hmm. the fact that you guys are rehearsing so many hours a day, mm-hmm. you, your bodies are finely tuned instruments. I, I sort of imagine that ballet dancers are really disciplined just because how could they get to be principal dancers at, at companies like yours without an, <laughs> a fierce amount of self-control and discipline? Is that accurate or or am I just like, just stereotyping. No, no, I would say that's extremely accurate. I feel like every professional ballet dancer that I know um, has had to have a ton of discipline in their life and not only discipline, but grit, um, just the ability to like push through a lot of physical pain and also deal with setbacks, disappointments, injuries, rejection, um, like tons of criticism so yeah you I think like I would just say grittiness and toughness is probably it's not what you think of when you think of like a little girl tiptoeing around in a pink tutu but um all the ballet dancers I know are extremely tough yeah I mean it's I I know what happens underneath those point shoes and it is totally (laughs) it's not cute But I also wonder, like, I have a box of Entenmann's donuts that sing to me every morning. And I'm like, this is quarantine life. Do you guys, I mean, has there been any sense of giving in to what is an insane moment in humanity? Definitely. Like, every time I go to the store, I buy Ruffles potato chips. I, like, love Ruffles. (laughs) Um, And I drink wine at night. Of course, I do worry about like staying in shape and like staying strong. Um, But more than that, I just worry about people's mental states. And our routine is so structured. Like in a way, I feel like this is the first time I've had a break since I went to boarding school to study ballet when I was 15. Wow. Um, And I'm 33 now. So it's bizarre. 
are there economic like implications mm-hmm. to the season being canceled to the tours being canceled i know that there are some refunds being offered mm-hmm. i mean does that affect you guys how does that work Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's a huge loss financially for ABT because the Met season is, I don't want to misspeak, but it's a very significant part of our annual budget, our annual revenue, um, if not the biggest part. So yeah, the dancers are laid off um, for now. The company is definitely extending themselves to um, offer us benefits. And um, I think there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's definitely, it's clear to me that upper management at ABT is working their asses off to um, support the dancers financially as much as possible. Yeah. But I mean, at a certain point or at a certain number, people are going to have to find other ways of bringing in income at at some point, I would assume. Totally. I mean, it's, you know... ABT is a not-for-profit, and I don't think most ballet dancers go professional to make money. It's not like playing in the NBA or something. Um, Even if I believe ballet dancers should be making those kind of salaries because of their incredible athleticism, um, it's just not part of it. Do you foresee a world in which you can make, I mean, I I guess I just wonder if this is the lost year. Your season kind of is Mm -hmm. what it is. It's Mm -hmm. not like they can push it till the fall, right? No, Uh, especially because theaters are booked up. Like, I I mean, everything's so planned so far ahead in, in ballet. Like I know my show dates for the next year. Like it's not really like you can just slide in some extra shows here and there, unfortunately. It's also ballet is not known as the career choice for people who want to work as dancers for like 40 years, right? I mean, it's a pretty (laughs) finite, each year really counts. Yeah, it really is. And I feel like once I hit 30, then it really started to occur to me the ephemeral nature of this career. Yeah. Um, And I I like treasure each opportunity to perform because I know I can't do it forever. But I, I do believe that the hardship that you experience offstage, obviously, like the difficulties that you go through in life, um, they give you richness and depth as a performer. So mm-hmm. I think maybe we won't have the experience of developing on stage this year, but I think we'll continue to grow as people and artists and have something to bring with us to the stage when we finally do get back out there. Isabella, thank you so much for for taking time to talk with us. Of you know, course. we wish you all the well, we wish you all the thick calluses in the world <laughs> through this <laughs> tough time. Thank I you mean, so I will much. say the quarantine is building emotional calluses, if not physical ones. So definitely, you know, good luck keeping all of them up. Uh, thank you so and good much. Luck with everything. Thank you. Bye. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of seventh generation. Find seventh generation laundry detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at seventhgeneration.com. 
And now we'll hear from Neka Ogumike, a WNBA star on the Los Angeles Sparks. So, Neka, where are you right now? Right now I am in Texas, my home okay. state. How long have you been in Texas? And where were you when all the news of COVID-19 first started breaking nationally? Well, I've been in Texas kind of in and out since the end of last season. So since November. Um, but I was also participating in the USA Travel Squad. So... Um, after the end of last season, uh, I went to Spain, and then uh, we had another segment in Serbia okay. um, in January, and then we had the Chicago All Star. And um, I'm I'm huge into podcasts, so like I listen to everything. <laughs> so I had been that's good, very much that's aware. Good. Yeah, <laughs> I had been very much aware of um, of the you know the coronavirus. Um, well before people thought it was a concern, I guess, on the Western Hemisphere. I started quarantining, I guess, quarantining, social distancing, staying at home since March 8th. That's very um, (laughs) prescient and responsible of you. Yeah, the the NBA was the first professional sports league to say we're going to suspend games. And I think for a lot of Americans, that was the alarm bell. They still have games left in their season. The start of your season has been pushed back. And right now there's some optimism that the WNBA is going to be playing this summer, right? Yes. Am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. You're saying certainly optimism. (laughs) Do you imagine that there's going to be an audience in the stands? To be honest, uh, it's, you know, I guess... I'm manifesting that there'll be audience. <laughs> there'll be an audience, but um, to be real, you know, I, I'm more concerned about safety and health of sure. not just not just our fans, but the players, the staff, you know. And I think at this point, we have to think um, outside the box. We really have to shift our mindset in what this summer can look like. You can't follow in lockstep with the NBA because. Not only are we different, they were in the middle of their season and ours hasn't started. And I think in a lot of ways that gives us an advantage because we can start from scratch and we don't necessarily have to um, figure out how a season has been disrupted and then creating out of that. I know you're trying to manifest people in the the audience, but it sounds like you probably won't have fans in there. And I guess I just wonder from, you know, from a player's perspective – if that does come to pass, um, what what do you think that might be like to play just with um, your fellow players, your 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 adversaries? Do you think the game becomes more intense because it's just about the game? There's not the crowd, or is it less intense because you don't have that reaction, the thrill, the like emotional pitch of people in the audience? I think that. In my opinion, it would be more intense. I think it would, it may even be more meaningful because the stoicism of that can contribute to a different type of competition. So I guess we're also banking on this kind of contributing to a new wave and a new age of broadcasting the WNBA, you know, in, in ways that people haven't seen before, in ways that are more accessible to fans you know, making us more available on a social media and a digital platform um, for people to be able to consume 
consume sports because at the end of the day, whether you're watching at home or whether you're in the arena, sports is something that really brings people together. And um, I'm hoping that that's what happens no matter who is in the arena. You are an athlete. You are an elite athlete. And, you know, I would assume you were you've been you've been playing throughout the beginning of the year. But I would assume as you gear up for the start of your official season, the training uh, regimen becomes more intense. You're doing a lot of drills on and off the court, et cetera, et cetera. None of that would seem to be happening if you're not, you know, playing with your teammates. So how are you approaching training at this moment on your own? This is probably the most interesting question you could ask any athlete right now. (laughs) (laughs) Not just because we're having to do home workouts, but everyone lives in a different space. So um, I've realized, too, that there's different types of resources available for different types of players. And it's funny because I would even pay attention on social media and there are NBA players who are worried about their skill level and their stamina coming back compared to some NBA players that have homes with courts, you know, and, and the same goes, yeah, the same goes for WNBA players. You have players that are living in flats and apartments. You have players that have condos. You have players that have full houses. You have players that are living alone. You have players that are living with kids. I have my own home. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had actually, I bought my spin bike a week before I even realized it like I would need it. The first place I went to was Dick Sporting Goods. Um, and so I got all of my weights. I got all of my bands, which are sold out right now. But yeah, I've been getting very creative. I, I live in a townhouse, so I have three sets of stairs. So I've been doing stair sprints. It's wow. been very I mean, different. <laughs> I'm particularly interested in, in understanding how te- you know athletes who are on teams manage a moment, you know, because you can obviously stay fit. But I would assume there's something about playing with other people, your teammates in drills and practice, and then in the game itself that keeps you sharp in a way that no Peloton or Kaiser bike or, you know, resistance band can. Oh, yeah. I mean, even, even not even just the team sport aspect, but playing, I guess, like, being a part of a team sport that requires, you know, a court and a ball and a hoop, that is already hard because none of us, very few of us, as far as I know, are even able to shoot right now. Wow. You know, I can I can dribble outside with my, my ball, but my outdoor ball. But, you know, I think right now, outside of even just practicing with other people, we're trying to keep our skills sharp. And mm-hmm. we can't even do that. We can't you we can't do any workouts with balls right now, which is really challenging. That's crazy um, to think about that 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 the NBA and the WNBA, you have players who cannot work out with basketballs. Yeah, because you can't all the courts are closed. Even outdoor here in Houston, they've taken down all the hoops on all the outdoor courts. So in the in the beginning of March, I was at least able to do like dribbling work work on the outdoor court, but now um, they've taped it off and they've taken the hoops off, so we can't even do that. I, I am dreaming about practicing because it's almost as though we might have to relearn each other, relearn you know the game a little bit again. When you think about going back on the court um, beyond just the questions of skill and so forth, do you have any fear about contracting the virus given – I mean, when I think basketball, I think close contact, I think sweat flying, people right breathing in each other's faces. I mean, does that concern you? Is that something that 
you know, you spend any amount of time perseverating about? Yeah, you know, I definitely pondered about this in the beginning, but I think now as we combat this with our different methods, um, I'm, I'm less worried. I think you're going to, you're going to see in sports, maybe the first implementation of like maybe widespread periodic testing simply because of what you're, you just mentioned, you know, I think it, it's, it's very obvious that you can contract it with sweat and breath and just being, just guarding someone, being in close proximity, um, you know, with that happening, which is, it's actually interesting because once this virus kind of started creating its wave towards the West, a lot of players were overseas and, um, There were there were times when the players said, "Oh yeah, they said that the that the fans can't come in and that after the game we can't shake hands." And I'm like, "So after a game of you guys sweating on each other and touching each other, you can't shake hands and touching exactly. a ball." I was like, I was just kind of like, "What is happening?" But <laughs> um yeah, that's it's less of a concern for me now as the methods to prevent it and to combat it in the future, I think are made I think there are a lot of people that are going to find your your attitude towards this pretty inspiring. I got to ask you on the question of discipline, because clearly you have a lot of it. Have you let anything go? Have you given yourself an out, an extra donut or a donut? So I will tell you this. I, I am managing my character because, you know, the first week I was like, okay, you know, I can do this. I have all the stuff that I need here in my house. And then the second week rolled around and I was just like, oh, let me just turn my alarm off. I'll wake up, work out and, you know, go about my day. And that was by far my worst week because I would just wake up, take my time. And then my my days were so short and I was just like, I can't do this. So I committed myself to regimenting, you know, back to what I'm used to. I would wake up. I either wake up at six or seven. I gave my, my myself like two times. I'm like, if I'm ready to go, I can wake up at six. Otherwise, I can snooze till seven. I have let myself go, but it wasn't the best thing for me. <laughs> so I and then I you got did, yourself back. You let I yourself go. Back on the track. Then you got yeah. yourself right on back to right. back on track. Oh my gosh! Well, Neka, may your days continue to be long, and and may they soon be filled with basketball. We can't wait to see you back on the court. Thank you so much. But in the meantime, we're working on getting as much WNBA on TV, on social, on digital as much as we can. So hopefully people are still encouraged by seeing us out there in whatever way we can be. And I appreciate talking to you, Alex. Thanks, Neka. <laughs> Thanks. That's all for this episode of Six Feet Apart. Our show is produced by Elisa Gutierrez and Lyra Smith. Lyra Smith is our story editor. Our executive producer is Sarah Geismer. Special thanks to Allison Falzetta, Stephen Hoffman, and Sydney Rapp. Thanks for listening, and stay safe. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh-generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea. Totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com.